What's up everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. Last week we started chapter 8, but it was a little lengthy and there was a lot of good stuff to talk about in the first two-thirds of that. So um, we didn't get to finish. So I just want to do a catch-up from what we talked about last week and remind you that Paul was talking about what it means to be a generous giver, and that he was encouraging the uh, Christians in the Corinthian church to finish giving the gift that they had started over a year ago. Um, Now, it's really important to remember that they were the ones who had the idea to begin giving these financial gifts to the Christians in Jerusalem. They were the first ones who wanted to do it, and they were the first ones who actually gave to it. And this inspired all of the other churches uh, around Jerusalem to do the same from the various areas. Now, the big thing is, is you have to remember that the Corinthians stopped giving financially whenever they started having sin come into the church. Um, They were struggling with divisions and arguments among themselves. The false uh, apostles came in. There was just a lot of division, a lot of animosity. Um, You know, they had this whole thing with Paul where they really mistreated him. And so they had not given um, to the Christians in Jerusalem in over a year. And Paul was just reminding them to finish what they had started. Um, And the fact that their willingness to give that financial gift was probably a really good indication as to how much they had um, forgiven Paul and repented of their sins. And really, they didn't have to forgive Paul, but basically how much they had repented of their sins, how much they had um, shown remorse for how they treated Paul, uh, trying to get rid of the um, false uh, apostle that was among them, this false teacher, and really began to uh, come back to joining the other churches in what God had called them to do. So today, we're going to finish up chapter 8, and it's uh, it's going to be pretty short. And Paul communicates how the process of receiving and delivering this, this financial gift to the people in Jerusalem will be conducted. So read with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16-24. through 24. We'll just finish up the chapter right here. As Paul talks about Titus and his companions and how they're going to handle this uh, financial offering. So, But thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. We are also sending with them another of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you and the brothers with him have been sent by the churches and they bring honor to Christ. 
So show them your love and prove to all the churches that our boasting about you is justified. Okay, so here we have Paul <clears throat> finishing up this chapter and how uh, they are going to receive this gift that the Corinthians started over a year ago. You know, this is the whole thing. Paul's encouraging them to finish. Basically, this is a way to truly prove that the hatchet is buried because they're going to trust Paul and his companions with this um, probably fairly large financial gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul is sending Titus back to the Corinthians. Now, you need to understand that as Paul is sending this letter, you know, everything that he's saying is kind of sounds like a future tense. But as the Corinthians are reading this letter, remember Titus has delivered the letter. So Titus is actually there as the Corinthians are reading this letter. And so it's kind of a future tense, but it's also being perceived in the present. And sometimes you miss that if you're not careful. I don't know how important that is to you, but I really like being able to kind of figure out the timeline whenever I'm reading scripture. It helps me understand it a lot better. So Titus is actually there as the letter is being read. And Titus... Paul is communicating in the letter that Titus is apparently filled with the same enthusiasm for the people of Corinth that Paul is. And uh, this speaks very highly of the repentance that must have been displayed to Titus. Because you remember, Titus was in Corinth as he took that, that uh, really the third letter, the, the hurtful sorrow letter, the letter of tears. Titus took that. And he was there whenever the people first displayed their remorse and their repentance. And so now Titus is enthusiastic to be a part of the Corinthian church and to go back and to take this letter and receive this gift. Titus is excited. And uh, he's filled with enthusiasm. And <clears throat> this speaks a lot about the repentance that must have been displayed uh, during that time. So Titus is eager to go back and visit them. And you need to notice something um, that the word eager and enthusiasm both appear many times in this passage. And Paul talks about this a lot. And eagerness and enthusiasm is an important um, part of serving the Lord. You know, it's hard for someone to truly serve God if there's not an eagerness and enthusiasm about it. If people aren't enthusiastic about it... Um, it really is hard to jump on board and see God working and moving in them, but the enthusiasm and the eagerness shows how much God is truly working in their life. Now, Paul mentions uh, about sending another brother with Titus that the other churches praise as a talented preacher of the good news, and we don't really know who this other brother is. Um, it's actually kind of funny, you know, as I do these studies and I talk about these passages, you know, I will read different things that other people have written uh, just to see and make sure I'm kind of, I'm saying the right things, but also like getting an understanding of what's going on. So a lot of scholars debate whether this other brother is someone like Timothy or Barnabas or Silas or Luke or, you know, even someone else. But um, <clears throat> the truth is we don't really know who this person is. And that's okay. Like Whoever it was seemed to be highly revered by all the churches and, and appointed him to accompany Titus and Paul's other companions for this task. And we have to remember as we're reading Scripture, I, I say this a lot, but I want to say it again, that the Bible is, 
is not a historical book. It's it's a spiritual book. And it may leave out a lot of physical details, but every aspect of spiritual nourishment that we need is present in the text. And it's ready to provide us with sustenance for all who claim to be believers. So, and I will admit, like, I'm a history major. And so I really like the details. I like the timelines. I like the idea of understanding what's going on and having a thorough record. One of the things that I've had to remind myself of as a believer as I'm reading scripture is, is that the Bible is not a historical book. The Bible is a spiritual book. The Bible communicates to us God's purpose, God's plan, what God desires from us, and it communicates with us how we can better serve God. And so it's very applicable to our lives but it's not meant for us to have a complete understanding of what is going on during all this stuff. So I think that's really important for us to understand and uh, to remind ourselves of. So we don't know who the guy is, but that's okay. Doesn't matter. And we got to remind ourselves of that. Now, verse 20 is very important as you see the intentional effort of Paul and his companions to maintain their integrity with uh, this the way that they handle this potentially large sum of money that's going to be given. Now, in verse 21, Paul talks about their effort to be honorable, but as they also desired for everyone to see their integrity in the way that they handle this important, and yet uh, potentially it could be a divisive situation. Now, as believers, I, I want to remind you that you should always be skeptical of of any church or leader or ministry that manipulates, hides, or lacks transparency in any dealings, uh, finances especially, but really any kind of dealings. There shouldn't be a secrecy among God's people. There should be transparency. There should be an honest conversation. Um, and leaders and organizations and ministries should be very open with how they handle uh, things like finances and other dealings because we are called to uh, live by integrity for the Lord, but we're also called as believers to be accountable to one another. So just because we're in leadership does not mean that we are not accountable to the people that we are leading, but it's quite the opposite. And God's kingdom works very differently than um, the things of the world. So even as leaders, we have to remind ourselves that we are still accountable to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be transparent. So if that is going on, um, you really need to make sure that you um, that that you are weary and that you are kind of trying to do it in a godly way, but call those leaders to accountability and remind them of the need to be transparent. And, and you have to be careful in that because you don't want to make people feel like you don't trust them, but uh, just remind one another in this process that uh, the less transparent you are, the more distrust that you create. And so uh, there should not be a need for uh, hiding or manipulating things, but really there should be a desire to be transparent because when you read this, um, when you read this passage, 
everything that we do for the Lord should be done with eagerness. You know, again, there's that word eagerness. It should be done with eagerness and joy. On top of the fact that there should be an extra effort for us to be transparent and display integrity with all dealings. Now, if Paul, and you can use this passage in this in a loving way, not in a demeaning or trying to uh, strong arm someone, but in a loving way, you can just say, you know, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Paul was the most effective missionary to have ever um, lived, and he practiced transparency, and he practiced the above and beyond extra effort to make sure that he was not only uh, dealing with integrity before the Lord, but also that everyone else could see that he was living with integrity and that he was doing it in such a way that people could trust and believe that he was honest in all of his dealings. So in verse 22, um, we see another believer that we are unaware of who it actually is. Again, it's not a big deal. You just got to remember that we're reading a spiritual book and it's a focus on the spiritual Um However, once again, you see the description of this eagerness that's put on this other believer as well. So, uh, you know, just reminding you, eagerness, enthusiasm, joy, uh, transparency, those are some of the things that we see in this passage that we should really be applying to our life. And so for as important as it is for Paul to do this and his companions to do this, they are eagerly being transparent they are eagerly allowing other people to come along so that everyone knows that these things are being handled with integrity now uh this other guy is enthusiastic because of his confidence in the church of corinth and, and this is important because you know if you go back and you read first corinthians which we just finished up a, a couple months back um, dude, there's a lot of stuff that you could really nitpick about and just say these were terrible Christians. And in a lot of ways, they had a lot of failings. They, they struggled with some really big sins that could really affect them, the congregations, the families, the, the community. There's a lot of junk going on. But when you're reading 2 Corinthians, and this is so important because as we're reading 2 Corinthians, not only have has the church in Corinth dealt with their own sin, but that sin has progressed to the point where they have directly insulted and hurt Paul. And so Paul has suffered as a result of the sinfulness of the Corinthian church. But in 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul is uh, serving a lot of uh, compliments and, and he is encouraging them and he is building them up and he's talking about how much he has praised them and spoken all these good things about them and so it's really important to understand that yeah if we sit down and we started like really evaluating every Christian in the world every pastor every youth pastor every missionary every worship leader every um, leader in the church, every Sunday school teacher, just every Christian in general, you could find stuff to nitpick about 
and and to really bring people down and to say, hey, you're not living up to this. Because the truth is, we all fall short of the glory of God. But Paul is using the tactic of encouragement to bring this Corinthian church back into the body of Christ in good standing. And there is a time, I want to say this clearly, there is a time of constructive criticism. You see that in 1 Corinthians. Paul is criticizing them and he's encouraging them to move beyond their shortcomings. But in 2 Corinthians, he is encouraging them. And I have found as a as a youth pastor, as a pastor, that most of the time, encouragement works far better than tearing people down. It's really easy to see the negative in people's lives. It's really easy to point out flaws and mistakes. But really, the encouragement works better. Encouragement works so much more efficiently to bring people along because it helps maintain the enthusiasm and the joy and the eagerness in people's lives. If you start criticizing people, they may perform better for a little while, but as you criticize them, the enthusiasm and the joy wanes. But as you encourage them, it helps maintain that enthusiasm for them. So, uh, Paul moves on and he communicates how important Titus is to him. And he refers to Titus here as a partner and says that everything that he does is to help Paul help the Corinthians. That's really important. Titus is basically Paul's right-hand man. He's a partner. In layman's terms, Titus is there to help Corinth, the, the, the church of Corinth, as Paul's representative. The other two men are also there as representatives of the other churches that the church of Corinth claims to be a part of. They are all a part of the same body. And while um, an individual church, so, so we'll just talk about Graham, while we function as an individual body most of the time, every single person in our congregation uh, plays a part in serving as different parts of the body within our church setting. At the same time, we are also a part of our denomination. And one thing I love about the Wesleyan denomination is, is that we are very much connected and very much accountable to the other churches in our denomination. So the next part of the body that Graham Chapel is a part of is the district. And we are very involved and accountable with the other Wesleyan churches in South Carolina. So Graham Chapel, uh, we go to our annual district conference every year. We have votings on leadership and things like that. And so we are a part of the district of South Carolina. So we are also accountable to those other churches. Now, moving beyond the district we are also a part of our denomination and so every four years we have uh, our general conference which is represented by all of the churches and all of the districts in our denomination and so our district will send representatives from our churches 
uh, to General Conference to meet with all the other churches around the United States and even the Wesleyan churches around the world. Now, I love that about our denomination because there's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of understanding that we are a part of something much bigger than just our own church body. And not to mention that we're just a part of our denomination, but there's also this understanding that we as believers need to realize that we are also a part of the church across the world, every denomination. So it's really important to remember we may not always 100% agree with all of the theology with other denominations and things that other churches might be doing, but hey, um, the church down the road in our community is just as much our brothers and sisters in Christ as the people in our denomination in our district. We need to remind ourselves of that. And, and so these churches that the Church of Corinth is now a part of because it's a part of this body of Christ, this larger body that's much larger than just us, they have sent representatives to come and help Paul and Titus collect this offering to be able to finish up this gift that they started so long ago. And they're sending these other representatives because they, they want to help maintain the integrity of all this stuff. So Paul is uh, sending Titus, he's sending these other representatives, and this is done to bring glory to Christ because these three men represent the church. All right, They represent the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. And, and they're... Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to show their love and prove to these three men that the boasting that Paul and Titus has done to them is true. Well, I told you it was going to be short, so we are done. And I just want to encourage you guys today to make sure that you are constantly reminding yourself you're not just a part of Graham Chapel Church. You are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. His body spans the entire earth. Every church that claims to be a Christian church is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are held accountable to them in so many ways. We may not always agree, but we can lovingly serve and build one another up and remember that encouraging works so much more than criticizing. There's a time for constructive criticism but always remember that encouraging is so much more efficient. And Paul is doing that in 2 Corinthians, especially right here in chapter 8. All right, let's pray together. I'll let you go. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day, for everything you bless us with. Lord, we just want to say that we love you. We're so thankful for you and your grace and love and mercy. I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Remind us that we are a part of so much more than just our own faith than just the faith of the people that make up our church that we are a part of. And even more than our district or our denomination, God, we're a part of your church body that spans the entire world. Help us to love one another and serve one another, to build one another up. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we ask all this in your name. And we ask it so humbly. And we trust and believe that you're going to answer. We love you and thank you. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. Um, as always, we're so glad you're a part of the Graham family. If you can't be here this weekend for our services, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Have a great week.